moving super fast and absolutely annihilates me even faster than like the first um, the first boss that killed me <laughs> so i'm like oh my god okay i should probably not be attacking npcs Welcome to the Metacast Roundtable by Navic. And today I keep talking about the sun. The sun's back out again, so I'm quite happy. And today I'm joined with David Amor, um, CEO of Playment. You may know him by the creating uh, the Loot First game called The Crypt. Um, also joined by Manu Kumar, co-founder of Navic and Matt Dian who was on here last week again, a senior product manager at EA Mobile. Thanks for joining, everyone. Nice to be here. Thank you for hello, the intro. Hello. You know, Matt, Matt stepped in at the last minute. I mean, uh, he just jumped in. Somebody fell out uh, and said, can't do it for family reasons. Matt, within five minutes, is here. So unprepared, but just threw himself into it. I'm impressed by that, Matt. Well <laughs> Definitely. <done. laughs> Happy to be here. Happy to help out. Episode zero. <laughs> hero. Yeah. <laughs> what a hero. <laughs> um, today, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the topics. I used to work in machine learning in, in my past. And the first topic we're going to talk about is how can we apply AI to games? And then we're going to talk about Genshin Impact's user-generated content, uh, which is a live ops event. And we're also talking about four-day work weeks in games, whether it's um, possible to happen across the world, um, if we think it's a good idea. So yeah, it would be nice to, to dive into that. Just before we move on, I um, just want to say happy birthday to Supercell's Clash Royale. Sixth anniversary, that's pretty big um, for Happy for birthday, <laughs> Clash Royale. <laughs> 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 Man. Oh, and also, um, Manu made me buy Elden Ring <laughs> so that we could briefly discuss it. <laughs> so, um, Manu, how are you doing in Elden Ring? Tell us. <laughs> uh, not, not so good. Um, I've, I've been telling a couple of people the story, but uh, my my first uh, session of Elden Ring was uh, was really quite quite a surprise. <laughs> uh, it's it's my first Souls game, so. I wasn't aware of, you know, the difficulty uh, level <laughs> of these games. So I started I started playing, um, you know, immediately get thrown into the open world, uh, walk a little bit and then meet my first boss. Um, I'm like, okay, uh, you know, it's the first boss. Uh, it's just part of like the intro experience of the game. No problem. Tried to attack it, you know, was trying to like get familiar with the uh, with the attack sequences and such. Of course, got killed in like two two swoops, uh, and then I was like, okay, no problem, <laughs> you know. Uh, it the this monster like threw me down into uh, into some kind of pit, and then and then I was like, okay, now I'm finally in the tutorial, the real tutorial. So I'm like walking around, you know, killing the skeletons, uh, all super easy, learning my attack sequences. It's all good, and then. I get through that and enter the open world again. Beautiful, like absolutely beautiful visuals. And I'm like, okay, this is the Elden Ring experience that I was like kind of waiting, hoping for. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like standing there enjoying the environment. Walk a couple of steps further and then I meet this NPC um, who starts telling me about, you know, I should go over here because 
there's something interesting over there and blah 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 you know typical npc talk but for some reason i decide to attack this npc <laughs> wait what <laughs> oh man and then, <laughs> why would you do that, that, that that's uh, not good in preparation for the ai applied to games you know <laughs> just trying to see where, okay, where sure, we're at right sure. now as an industry yeah. uh, so i decided to attack the npc and this npc like i attack him once or twice and then he says are you really sure you want to do this <laughs> and I'm like uh, yeah uh, and then i you know i properly attack him and out of nowhere this guy like pulls out a bouquet of roses which is supposed to be his weapon and it's all like you know it has all this blood flowing out from it and he's moving super fast and absolutely annihilates me even faster than like the first um, the first boss that killed me <laughs> so i'm like oh my god okay i should probably not be attacking npcs and then i reset the game of course reload and i'm i'm telling myself well you know these npcs won't remember anyway ai <laughs> and then i walk back to the npc and he remembers you know the, and <laughs> i wasn't able to get past this guy for like 3 hours uh, in the, in in my first uh, play what, session with man you what what lesson did you learn from that what lesson did uh, you learn It'd be nice to NPCs, I, I think, maybe. I think, yeah, that's definitely the first lesson. <laughs> Don't attack the NPCs. Uh, but yeah, the other lesson was, uh, yeah, now I know what a Souls game is all about. So. <laughs> I don't know why you would choose to play a game that famously punishes you so relentlessly. I the first thing I do with any of any one of those kind of games, I mean PlayStation games let's say, is turn it difficulty down right down to easy and that's how I like to play it. So the idea that it starts at super tough seems insane to me, but it seems people seem to like it. I don't know. I'm on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. I love Souls games. I have not yet played Elden Ring. um but i played all the dark souls i'm working on bloodborne right now i uh really really like it they don't hold your hand they don't you know feed you tutorial information like here's where you got to go and here's what you got to do next like figure it out use your brain you know i love it it's it's a it's a real challenge and i think it's refreshing compared to a lot of the other games out there <laughs> they were to say no no <laughs> i i i'm in between i have to play it while I'm playing something that's nice and fun um just to switch it up but i i had a very different experience to you <laughs> <laughs> but i didn't attack an npc I mean, so you played bloodborne before this you're right? a good so person you're, like, you're trained a little bit you you knew what to expect so <laughs> yeah i i knew a little but i always choose my character class without looking at hmm. guys so i just cho- i choose what i think looks cool And then I found out I actually chose the hardest character to play with. So um I, I think the real question well. is like like Manu do you always attack NPCs? <laughs> is that like your first move? Uh I think so. When oh, I was uh, even when I think back to my Max Payne or Hitman code name 47 <laughs> experiences, I did go for the NPCs and Yeah, during those times it was even different because the NPCs they just had like such a limited vocab or like sentence range and vocabulary range that it was also funny to just hear their response responses. But it's not a good look, <laughs> Manu. It's not a good look. It's it's not We're learning okay. a lot about. I, I never thought I like, would be feeling bad for attacking NPCs, but you should. Okay. You should be. <laughs> There you go. You've learned your lesson. 
Well, I think we need a full deep, deep, dive, deep on dive on this. understanding oh. Manu's uh, root, root motives to attack NPCs. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, this is a really nice segue into talking about AI applied to games, because I think that's something that in your experience of, of uh, Elden Ring, that the NPC, um, ear quotes, remembered that you had attacked it and then it changes its behavior to, towards you for, for the rest of the game. So the, the inspiration for this topic came from in-world AI's uh, raise of 10 million US dollars. And according to the website, the raise was to create brains for virtual characters in immersive realities. And what I understand their business vision is that virtual wars, worlds require virtual characters that mimic cognitive behavior so that the world feels rich and feels more realistic um, because the virtual characters themselves will be interacting with you and their environment in a more realistic way. And another interesting application that they're pitching is that this would also allow brands to have always available brand agents. Um, For example, I don't know, the Sandbox or Decentraland, you always have someone there that you trust can represent your brand and talk to real life customers in a more realistic way. So I was looking, I was actually looking at um, Gran Turismo 7's low poly <laughs> humans, and they did look a little bit odd. And once I noticed them, I couldn't unsee them. So it, it does make quite a lot of difference to how um, native the the imagined and creative world can, can feel. So I was, I was thinking, um, Manu, do you have any thoughts on the potential of this company, and if you think we'll see more businesses in the same vein of vision popping up, um, I think I think the potential of this company is probably captured in um, the recent rave party that Decentraland hosted. Um, <laughs> so they had this rave party, and I mean, you know, it's supposed to be a party, but there were it was filled. First of all, it was not, it was not even. Um, it didn't even have too many uh, real people in the party. But it was also filled with a lot of NPCs that were supposed to make it feel lively. But all these NPCs were doing literally nothing. So if we're moving to a place where, I mean, so I mean, in short, it was the most boring rave party that, you know, you, you one would witness. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the metaverse needs NPCs. And... It not just needs like normal NPCs, but it needs smart NPCs. And I think that's kind of the opportunity this uh, company is going for. But but yeah, that said, moving from like today's NPCs to fully smart NPCs that are, you know, that are present, that are aware, that that emotionally respond, you know, have the right thing to say in the right tone, all, all these kinds of things. Each one of these aspects is like it's it's its own very complex machine learning problem, you know. And uh, and I think where today's uh, world is in in terms of you know some of this tech, um, um, and some in, in terms of just the evolution of this tech that can enable these experiences. I don't think I think there's a big gap from you know what we expect from a company like this versus what the tech can fully enable right now. So it'll be, it'll probably be some ways away where, you know, they fully um, deliver on their promise of inserting a brain into a, into an NPC where 
you know you and i feel like this is a real artificial human you know uh but but i think yeah there could be smaller steps taken uh to get there so yeah but then yeah. mm. i my experience with ai in games and i know you're talking about characters in games and so maybe I'm widening it a little bit to saying AI in games. I used to work for a company called Bullfrog a long time ago. I remember working on the Dungeon Keeper franchise and we put a lot of energy into uh, creating a, an AI experience in the dungeon. And we did, and most people didn't notice it. It was it just wasn't enough of an impact into the game and in fact often didn't work and the things that did work were set pieces that uh, that the level designers created and and they were they just worked a lot better than the ai that was created and if i look at how much energy we put into it versus what we actually got from it it was pretty limited now that was a while ago so I, of course ai is developed on but even more recent things like improbable which is a technology company here in the uk that is a sort of what would you say sort of brain for a game so that the game can live on and the inhabitants live of a of a game can live on even when you're away from the game Again, I haven't really seen anybody point to a bit of gameplay that it's created or indeed a game that uses it that has made that a more enjoyable experience. And so, it sort of I agree with what Man Yu's saying that it still feels like we're a little far away from being able to use this in a way that gamers that feels right for gamers. Can you think, I don't know, Matt, have you seen something that you thought has done this well to date? I don't I don't think so. Um I agree with with what's been said about this being a little ways off. Um I know that there are other companies working on it um in sort of the blockchain space as well. Um there's a company called Alethea AI that you can have like conversations with um historical figures like um you know like Beethoven or Joan of Arc and they also have like the same technology applied to NFTs like a board ape or something. Um, so that's one company that's working on it. There's another one called Altered State Machine uh, that's doing something kind of interesting where they have like NFT brains that learn through different games that you're playing. But just to uh, you know, take a step back, like there's always going to be this kind of uncanny valley, right? Where like humans are just not going to accept these AIs as like a full immersive experience. At least we're not there yet. And you, you see that even if you just like talk to chat agents in customer service. Um, and this is adding the visual component on top of it as well, which is a, another layer of complexity. Um, so I think that it's it's very future looking and there's probably a lot of challenges to solve. On the one, one interesting point about the Uncanny Valley is, um, I mean, the Uncanny Valley was um, um hypothesized maybe that's the right word in in 1970 by this computer scientist um but his hypothesis also was that um the closer something robotic looks to a human the more its acceptance would actually um uh, the more the human would actually accept it as another real real being uh but there's a certain point until which you know you then hit the uncanny valley where it starts to feel a little bit weird because it's a little bit too realistic but then if you cross that then you're safe again but there was a follow up study done to the uncanny valley later which was it's actually you just have to choose one side of being of uh, of where you want to live on this uncanny valley so the more important thing is to be 
consistent with which side you live or on with this uncanny valley so if your characters are consistently unrealistic you're good but if if they are consistently realistic then you should like deliver on that promise every uh, every minute uh it's a, yeah. I, I I give you an example of that on menu, which is remember the uh, the Mies in the Wii system, which was a long you know they're, they're in known danger of straying into the uncanny valley, where they, <laughs> they were just uh, representations of people, and that was great. Yeah. I felt like all my friends were there. I didn't need to see yeah. their carefully <laughs> realized faces. Now I guess if you're making Gran Turismo, you don't want a bunch of Mies up there and not on the bleachers. <laughs> so I, I yeah. recognize that it wouldn't work for yeah. everything, but. Uh, there's different ways of approaching yeah. that, I suppose, from an art style point of view. I do. I recognise the need for if you're building a game like Gran Turismo, a, a, a way of building realistic characters with realistic AI and having something that maybe you don't directly get involved with, but still fulfil a purpose. So there's probably something that you can do there that would be interesting. And certainly, it's an area that will develop yeah. over time. Yeah, and, and the reason I brought up yeah. like this follow-up study is because it's just another way to think about the opportunity this company is going for. So not every AI needs to be realistic, essentially. You know, they could still right. be inserting right. comical brains com into NPCs rather than, you know, like some super smart, highly educated, well-spoken, you know, kind of a brain into an NPC. So, uh didn't didn't sound like it was either of those people in Decentraland <laughs> raved the other day. Though, uh, yeah, though, there were no brains existing in those NPCs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't mind going to such a rave where everyone's just standing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it would be a little weird. <laughs> I, think, I think that's why it's so interesting about having a third-party company that's fully focused and this is their vision, this is their mission on trying to create this technology that game developers can use because it's just so difficult to have realistic uh, virtual virtual characters um because if you I, I find that if you try to portray humanity exactly sometimes it doesn't feel human you have to find the things that make it feel human that aren't quite human to to change that perception um i, I was wondering matt do you think that having this technology out there could be a little bit like unreal where it allows smaller studios to develop more realistic open world and complex games um i don't know I, I don't know enough about the company to know whether they're sort of opening up the tool set to uh end users um you know one of the things that i am maybe a little bit less clear on is like is the use cases like i understand that there can be many but the article talked about not only games but like enterprise applications and other sorts of like metaverse experiences and I don't know I'm just like not really sure maybe I'm just having a hard time visualizing it and like understanding what this is really intended to accomplish it seems like it's you know whatever you need an AI for in the metaverse but you know we have lots of uses for AI right now um, that don't have that like visual mm -hmm. immersion component of the metaverse virtual, virtual maybe assistants or way. even virtual companions yeah you know, um Chatbots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm sure they have something. I don't suppose they would get that level of investment without having something, well, a thesis that was interesting and some technology that would be interesting, right? So mm. obviously we, we didn't get to see that stuff yet. I'm sure there's something cool that's yeah. cooking there. I'm but, sure uh, that there would be like a... 
அட்லீஸ்ட் ஃபார் த கேமிங் இண்டஸ்ட்ரி ஸ்பெசிஃபிக்லி ஃபார் த கேமிங் இண்டஸ்ட்ரி ஸ்பெசிஃபிக்லி தே ப்ராப்ளி குட் பி அ பெடி சிக்னிஃபிகன்ட் காஸ்ட் சேவிங் காம்பனன்ட் வித் ஜஸ்ட் தி இன்ட்ரோடக்ஷன் ஆஃப் மோர் ஏஐ ஃபார் எக்ஸாம்பிள் யூ நோ வட் இஃப் வட் இஃப் யூ டென் நீட் வாய்ஸ் ஆக்டர்ஸ் பேசிக்லி டு யூ நோ டூ யுவர் வாய்ஸஸ் எனி மோர் யூ ஸோ தெர் ஜஸ்ட் அ லாட் ஆஃப் காஸ்ட் சேவிங் தட் குட் ஹேப்பன் வை பீப்புள் ஜஸ்ட் ரைட் த ஸ்கிரிப்ட் அவுட் அண்ட் ai you can pick and choose you know what kind of tone you want should it be you know beethoven saying it or whatever uh and and you can also choose whenever you want to kind of generate those uh, sounds you know and and that's what that's what i kind of meant when i said at the start that there are probably these smaller steps also that you know this company maybe could take to get there um and each of these steps will just um will just be additive to a potentially large cost saving for production in games uh the more ai kind of like permeates but i don't think that uh, it makes great gameplay though i haven't it goes back to my point where i i can't point to any game that i've played where well famously if i'm playing starcraft 2 then the ai is famously weak and it just not that much fun to play against and I don't play all games but I can't think of any where I'm going I can just play against the AI all day in whatever game it is so I think Elden that, Ring the first NPC uh, of I Elden Ring <laughs> I can play all day with that one <laughs> poor. <laughs> poor guy uh, <laughs> but uh, so I yeah I guess I I'm you're right it could be a cost saving if you need to build out a lot of characters but does that make the game more mm. fun as if I saw examples of like it's got this thing and it's fun and it's all just built from AI then then I'd feel a little bit more confident in that but I just haven't ever seen anything to date that that has been able to be better than what would you call it hand built mm. uh, gameplay mm. Yeah, it, I think maybe it adds depth, you know? Like it, I agree that it it doesn't necessarily equate to fun, but in in worlds like um MMO RPGs or like these big open worlds, maybe mm-hmm. it can just add depth where there are all okay. these virtual characters and like yeah, you can talk to them and it might be like a short uninteresting conversation, but there's like a lot of them that you can have different conversations with and um it just fills out the world and makes it feel more alive. Uh... Yeah, but I, you know, you're sort of watering down an experience. You just gave an example where you approached a character that's built by AI and it wasn't a very good conversation, so you move on. But it didn't add depth. I don't know. That just sounds like a worse game to me. <laughs> it's yeah, maybe it's a gimmick. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, an example of an AI I was very impressed with was Alien Isolation. I honestly felt that the alien was very intelligent. I was playing at the highest level of difficulty and it was it was very good. I don't know the depth that went into developing it, but it was I think it made quite a big difference to my experience. But something that makes me really excited about AI being applied in games is if it what Manu was describing about this NPC. I really hope there's someone out there that's going to develop a game where the NPC and the world adapts to your playstyle the choices that you're making and even changing the dialogue depending i i really want an enemy that knows how to push my buttons <laughs> they know what to say <laughs> to make me feel angry and engaged and motivated into fulfilling my destiny in the game i don't know i was i just think it would be really cool um, it would be cool how hard can that be <laughs> i actually think like there have been developers who've attempted attempted that vision um yeah. 
just yeah i don't think there's any, nothing memorable though uh, in that space mm. that would be pretty cool though yeah so um yeah I'm waiting. If you're if you're out there listening, let us know if you're doing this. That's maybe exactly what this company is doing. Maybe you just describe their pitch deck. Do you know Uh-oh. what I mean, Maria? Oh no. Maybe I'll get a 10 million dollar raise as well. Um, do you think um that I think other applications I was considering. Do you think that AI will become widely used in terms of QAing games? I know that there are some companies out there that are applying some level of AI to help QA, for example, end-to-end game. Is it impossible to have one person end-to-end test a MMORPG, for example? David, do you think that we'll we'll see this um, growing growing use case in in the industry? Yeah, I must admit I haven't made those kind of games for a while and I'm sure it's developed since I last did it, but certainly the kind of testing that was being done, the you know, the automatic testing that was being done for games that I was building was a long way from I mean it's not a substitute from people playing it, humans playing it, I suppose, but it does do a good job of sort of bounds testing and looking out for memory leaks and we would just leave these auto testers on overnight and see what state the Xboxes were when we came in the next day. So I don't know if it's AI, it's more sort of scripted, mm-hmm. but I think maybe AI is an evolution of that scripting scripted testing. So I think that's wouldn't catch everything I wouldn't think but it, it is, I'm sure that's what's happening now with modern testing on console games PC games I haven't seen a third party selling this service so I wonder maybe I've missed it I wonder if there's a company dedicated to to doing this yeah we were but that was our tech that we built so it wasn't yeah. third party tech but uh, I don't know Yeah, and I was also thinking about uh, potential applications in the Web3 metaverse space because we have robot advisors nowadays that can invest and disinvest in um, in the investment market. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking maybe we'll see something like that in in the Web3 world where people can optimize the trades that they make on the marketplace and even companies trying to um, get cash flow from from their tokens. Maria, you got to believe that's happening yeah, right I now. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> It's happening everywhere. Yeah, I was going to say the same that thing. That ship is already oh, no. sailing, I think. <laughs> yeah. Really? But, uh, oh. but yeah, I mean, coming back to like your um, your original vision of, you know, having this character that can like really push my buttons, uh, that's how you said it. So, um Yeah, I mean, I think even in the even in the broader metaverse, like those characters could potentially exist where you're actually, if the metaverse is supposed to be the place where y- you can have a full-fledged digital identity, then the need for such characters will probably be pretty high where you can actually form, yeah, you can actually have companionship with these characters, you know. Um, there's, <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have... Uh, tried this app called uh, Replica, which is uh, basically a virtual companion on your phone. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. and you can chat with it. And like, I think in the first 15 minutes, you can start to feel like some connection is forming, even though you know it's like a artificial character. If you start, if you, in the first 15 minutes, you, you don't feel lonely 
you know, in a way, <laughs> when you're chatting over there. Man, you did you did you fall in love with one of these characters? It sounds like you I, might have I, done. Did you attack it? Is the real question. <laughs> that yeah, the attack option was not possible. But uh, and also before falling in love, I just looked to my side. My wife was lying down, so <laughs> quit quit the app. <laughs> I'll give it yeah, a go. Yeah, check it out. You know, I think, I'll be careful. I think it's, you know. pretty, it's pretty good and probably like just showcases, you know, um, just showcases like what could also exist in a game world as a character. Um, but yeah. mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. I just found you, you are correct. I'm behind the time. There's a, a platform called Whale Analytica that has uh, essentially uh, an AI applied real-time calculation of the value of land within web3 games so yeah it's not i'm not innovating (laughs) that's really cool that's quite exciting to to see hopefully we'll (laughs) see more in the next few years cool well i think we'll we'll carry on to the the next topic unless you have this bold prediction idea that's going to change the world in terms of ai applied to games this is your not moment. for me. No, no, I don't. I don't have it. Um, so Genshin Impact, I thought this is really cool. They have a time limited event running called Divine Ingenuity, and it consists of tra- uh, traversal. This is a difficult word to say in English. Traversal challenges that players need to complete a quest event to then unlock being able to create their own challenges that other players can play and. People can be rewarded by playing um, other players' creations. There's even, someone has already created a squid game, a glass walkway challenge, of course. But I thought this was, this was really interesting. I played Genshin Impact quite a lot. And I was surprised to see a, a UGC time limited event. Um, Manu, do, what do you think about this? Um, yeah, I mean, I. So I've played Genshin Impact quite a bit. Uh, we also deconstructed it on um, um, on the website. Um, but yeah, I eventually did churn. So this was uh, pretty interesting to see. Um, and um, But I have to say I haven't played it. My first thought was, I think, uh, I think MiHoYo is like, is working or thinking about its next technical marvel launch <laughs> you know they they do these like technical marvels in terms of their game launches uh which kind of fits with their uh vision um and once i saw this um i was like i think they're thinking about doing that again um it it had so many similar like the this feature just had a lot of similarities for me um uh, when compared to how they open beta tested the open world feature in honkai impact uh, before they did Genshin Impact, um, and and if this is anything similar to that kind of an A/B test, then yeah, maybe there's a new game, <laughs> a new you know transmedia triple uh, A UGC based cross platform you know uh, game that uh, with an ACG art style for sure. Uh, you know, coming from uh, the Hoyo was so that that was like my first thought. Um, but but yeah, 
the second thought was oh awesome there's also the the squid game <laughs> in it so there <laughs> <laughs> what do you think uh, why are they doing it i i don't know the game well enough i played a little bit but uh, i was quite surprised it didn't seem to be the kind of game that you would expect to see ugc in why why are they doing it is it to as a way of uh, dealing with a content treadmill or just a way of live operating the game or push to make it Roblox-esque at some point in the future. I don't know it well enough. You've got a sense of that? Yeah, I think my take is there's probably like a couple of uh, birds they want to hit with one stone. Um, I think one bird is definitely uh, more on just like the pure UGC upside of this. So being able to recycle existing content and assets to, you know, um, just increase player lifetime uh that i think is definitely something that they're trying to do <clears throat> but yeah i think the other probably bigger bird that they're testing and this is a pure hypothesis is um yeah they're testing whether you know players uh this audience that they that they have kind of tried to build over time across their entire games portfolio does how does this audience react to ugc based gameplay which would then kind of set the foundations for what the next product is going to be um and and i think that's why um like it just connects with this whole branding shift to the hoyoverse first of all i mean that communicates some kind of a metaverse play and some kind of a transmedia play with their with their next uh, product um and and yeah and then this test would if this is a test of what that next product could be it will be another triple a experience with this acg art style and you know um and a huge ugc component um it just goes back to what their original vision statement is which is um uh, tech otaku save the world uh, which basically means um they consider themselves as these otakus which are um i forget the definition uh fully but it's something about um ex some kind of experts of some kind i think uh but yeah these otaku's using technology to save the world through games you know and uh and yeah that's why honkai impact was created the way it was created that's why genshin impact came into the world which was just a complete technical novel something that the industry has never really seen uh and i think yeah the bar is even higher now for themselves uh with the next one yeah i i i agree 100% because when when they announced the brand change i think they the the vision of the company was a a vast content driven immersive world and i think this is exactly what you're saying it's an experiment just like they did with with honkai impact for Genshin Impact they're experimenting i'm sure this technology will be reused it's not mm. throw away um they'll integrate it into their next game um, and integrate all the tech i think i think that's genshin impact also into the next game so <clears throat> yeah 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 and then this made me think about whether this might become commonplace if we think that we'll see more and more games apply ugc to to them for example i don't know matt do you think we'll see lost ark having some sort of ugc element to it um it depends how you define ugc they already have those strongholds that you can like customize your little like island that you can you know place different structures and furniture on but 
Um, I think um, I think many titles will aspire to do something like this, but not everyone can pull it off. I think you kind of need the, the audience and the scale first. You know, we've seen um, platforms like uh, Manticore, for example, come out and they're like, you know, you can make whatever you want in this game and it's really easy. Just go make a game. But like they didn't have the audience built up first. And so, you know, I don't know how successful or unsuccessful they've been, but I haven't heard from them in a while. I don't think they've achieved the scale of Genshin Impact. Um, so I think there's kind of a, you know, sort of a chicken and egg where you need the audience first to have the UGC. Um, uh, that said, like, this is definitely a trend at this point. You know, it's part of it is, is about preserving and reusing content, as David was saying. I think a game like Genshin is hugely reliant on content to keep its live service going. Um, but um, also it's just about keeping players in your sort of digital theme park uh, for as long as possible. You know, like we want to provide them with different types of experiences so they stick around and hang out and engage with the different systems. And maybe they monetize, maybe they don't. But you look at like Free Fire has done UGC, Fortnite has done UGC. There are plenty of other games that are kind of these like digital theme parks or playgrounds or metaverses, whatever you want to call them. Um, where they offer UGC modes or elements to keep players engaged and also to like engage with um, streamers and influencers who then bring in more players to try out their created experience. Um, so I think it's aspirational, but it's definitely a trend at this point. I would, yeah. I'm going to test, test Manu on something. What sort of uh, DAU do they have on this game? Do you know, or MAU? No. I didn't warn you to ask. <laughs> oh, don't cheat. Don't no, look no, at the computer. You should just know I'm this number. One video, no problem. <laughs> I just wonder what size. <laughs> I just wonder what size of an audience uh, they have. I don't, I'm not saying it's small. It's not a loaded question. I'm just I, curious I as to how it compares with. I did. Uh, I did check sensor yeah. tower though. I mean, I can tell you, it's like. Oh. Good. Oh no! I was just going to say, uh, uh, Matt. What do you think it is? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I'm sorry. I was just going to say that I can confirm it's like in the top 10 uh, from a revenue standpoint, uh, according to Sensor Tower. Like they published their monthly uh, top mobile games and it was like number five last month, something like that worldwide. It's still big then. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Professor David throwing a spanner in the works here <laughs> with some wild Pokemon questions. I did, I did check Sensor Tower though before like hopping on just to see if, you know, this feature had any kind of a revenue impact because when they did the um when they did the um the open world uh, feature launch uh, in in Honkai impact then that was the highest revenue spike that game saw uh until that point and that of course like further justified you know um creating Genshin impact and investing into it and um, so I was wondering, like, you know, did they see kind of a similar revenue impact here? But there was nothing. Um, and and since I haven't played the played with this feature, I was if you guys have checked it out, like, did you see any kind of a monetization, any monetization hooks in the feature? I mean, I just looked it up on YouTube. It looked great, but it didn't tell me anything about the monetization. Okay. Obviously, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I haven't unlocked that adventure level yet, so I, I didn't get a chance to play it. But I also saw some YouTube videos and read some guides. It didn't seem like there were any. It was just live content to engage with, with the with the general mechanics of how they 
get players to try to accumulate resources, but nothing specific from from what I saw. Genshin Impact DAU yeah, between and three and four million, by the way, David. It's too late. Too late. Too late. <laughs> too late. You miss your you miss your chance. <laughs> oh, David, question question no back extra to points you. From the professor. Um, to test you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, host test professor. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking, um, how would you prioritize UGC features for for the games that you're developing? Is it is it something that you would make a must have uh, before before launch? How, how do you feel about no, it? No, I mean, it's a real undertaking to do UGC well, to build an editor that anybody can use. is almost as big as building a game sometimes. And um, obviously, well, not obviously, but it is a way of doing it whereby you give the game designers the tools that you to build the content that you ultimately hand over to consumers. But the internal tools that you build can be a lot more rough around the edges than something you actually release out. Uh, and often those tools are built in on a platform that isn't the same as the one you're playing at. So, so there's there's definitely a chunk of work to build a good set of tools that motivates people for to to build content. And then you have to have an infrastructure that supports it and ways of ranking it so that you surface the right content for people to play. So it's just a really it's no question that it adds a lot of value. But um, not every game, I suppose, is suitable for user-generated content, and it's certainly an undertaking that's probably done right. It's probably comparable to the size of building a game. Yeah, it just makes me think about the size of the team that um, Genshin must have in order to be able to develop this feature that's live for less than a month's time in a time-limited event. I think the total team size has already crossed like a 1,000 or something for Genshin. Right. No. Oh, wow. I think so. Okay. I, 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 <laughs> I, I work in a team of 25 people, and I think that's big. I mean, that is big for a mobile game, right? So, I mean, that I haven't heard of a team bigger than that's the biggest I've heard on a mobile game. Hold on. A thousand people. That's insane. Don't want to be wrong with remotely. the professor. But, I mean, you, also, you can see it. Let me see. <laughs> <laughs> You can also see it. I mean, it, it's writ large as soon as you start playing that game. It's so lush, so rich, and there's so much to it that, uh, that you know, at least you can see where it went. Mm. You know, one thought I had on this um, is that it might be an interesting strategic move in the sense that many uh, really kind of groundbreaking games have come from UGC modes. You think of Dota came from the Warcraft map editor, think of auto chess, you think of uh, PUBG, these games that, that were spin-offs of mods or user-generated creations. It's an interesting you know, thought from a strategic perspective, like Genshin creates something like this and maybe, maybe something brand new is created and they have sort of um, the first look at it. Mm. Yeah, it'd be nice to see that happen. I didn't know that Dojo came from World of Warcraft map editor. That's really cool. Warcraft 3, not World of Warcraft. Oh, sorry. I, so I'm not yeah. a Warcraft player. I'm very sorry to all <laughs> listeners that are into World of Warcraft. <laughs> um, well, I think we'll carry on to the four-day work weeks, uh, looking at the time. And the, the idea for this topic 
uh, came from Blackbird Interactive, uh, which is a game development studio based in Vancouver, Canada. And they announced that they were going to shift full time to a four day working week from April onward. They did a trial where productivity didn't decrease um, and everything else improved, such as team morale and work quality and just general happiness of, of people working in a studio. And many other gaming companies are starting to make these announcements. For example, I think Eidos Montreal has already been doing it for a little while. Armor Games and Hutch announced the trial. So um, I was thinking, David, since you're CEO of a game studio, how what do you think are the pros and cons of four-day working weeks? Do you think it can mm. become global? Yeah, I think so. It'd be sad to think that it couldn't, right? Um, well, in my in my experience, there was a period of time. I don't know, let's say 10 years ago when everybody was crunching like mad, like to get things done and it, everybody was doing it. So it felt like the only way that things could be done. And I ran a studio at that time. I said, I'm not going to do that. Life's too short. I've got young kids and uh, I'm going to finish at five. I'm you know, going to come in at nine, do five. I reckon it'd be fine. And we, if we plan it correctly and don't overcommit to publishers, then we can get a great game done in time. And in fact, the most successful game I've ever done was created in that uh, environment. And and it really proved to me, uh, you know, I'm not trying to tell anybody else, but certainly said to me, oh, it turns out that you, you can't, it, it's wrong to conflate the two, you know, working until 10 o'clock and ordering pizzas is the way to make a great game. Absolute nonsense in my experience, right? So I could well believe that um, letting go of this idea of a five-day week, was, which is another arbitrary thing. And if someone tells me, as the studies seem to show, that you don't seem to lose a lot of productivity by doing four days, I could well believe that. But, you know, in setting up a company as I did about a year ago, we did talk about it. Ultimately, I wasn't brave enough to do it. Um, and and it, it's awesome in order to attract talent and build a moat around your talent. But... Um, but equally, particularly since we moved into an area that was new and we had a lot to learn and a lot to get done, I think as a management team, we weren't quite ready to pull the trigger and say, let's do it. But uh, so uh, the setup sounded like it was going to be me saying yes to four day weeks. But as I say, not quite brave did enough. The, not yet did, anyway. Did like the whole remote work aspect also like play its own role in that decision? Because that's also a new ingredient to, you know, the, the working mix. Yeah, I mean, I think that one of the th phrases that I liked over lockdown was measuring on output, not input, right? It doesn't really mm -hmm. matter how much you need to get done. Okay, well, how people get to do that shouldn't be important. You want to do the school run or you want to work a, uh, you know, go away for a week, but then make up for it. That shouldn't matter if you're just, if you plan for it and you're getting the work mm -hmm. done. Um, and And so certainly I see more of a trend of measuring on output now, partly because it's more difficult to measure on input anyway. You don't see when somebody walks through the door anymore. So I think all of those things are being challenged and I don't think we've seen the final form of the best way to work yet. That makes sense. Selfishly, I would love to try this out. Um, I think that there are a lot of operational challenges, as you guys are rightly pointing out. Um, you know, for one, you want to make sure that it's applied evenly or equally to all employees. Like usually when, when changes get made, it's, it's folks like QA or contractors who end up with the short end of the stick 
And you want to make sure it's not like the execs have four day weeks and everyone else works five days. So just from a cultural and like equality standpoint, it needs to be evenly applied. And then what do you do in those four days, right? If you have a problem at your company where it's a culture of meetings all day long, you're in meetings, 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 and nothing gets done. Um, well, that you know, you have one less day in which to actually do work and not meet. Um, so you need to, I think, be a little bit more protective of the of your calendar during those four days. And then, you know, to, to Manu's point earlier, is your company remote uh, or do you have an office? Uh, because if you have an office, then you're paying for it to sit empty an extra day of the week. Um, and maybe that doesn't make sense financially. I don't know. Um, so these are kind of the things that I would want to think through, like the cultural impacts, operational impacts and financial impacts. What, uh, Maria, I mean, you, I think you said that uh, that's something that's happening at Hutch. Is that, uh, does that work? What do you, what's your experience of that? The trial only starts in June, so I can't say whether it works yet or not. We are preparing. What is, what is the buzz around the office of, uh, of this? Are people looking forward to it? or? Oh, huge, huge excitement. Yeah, I think m- most people, if not 99.99%, are really looking forward to it. It just adds flexibility. Even the thought of going to the supermarket in the middle of the day, there's no one there. Um Seems to that, create create a buzz. Is that what you're going to do with your extra day, Maria? <laughs> that seems a shame. <laughs> I'm going to do podcasts on my extra day. No, Are you okay? <laughs> no, I think that in terms of all the quality of life things that you can offer an employee, having a three day weekend is pretty high. I mean, yeah. that's really, you know, if you on the assumption that you're paying people enough to uh, enjoy their life, then what what's the next thing that you can do to, to offer them that something's really valuable? Mm-hmm. I also think that. You know, the weekends, I don't know, maybe I'm just talking about my personal life, get clogged up with sort of family and social things. I think if I had a Friday off each week, then I'd find I'd really be able to nerd out on things that I really wanted to, you know, hobbies and things that I might not get to do when I'm uh, uh, ordinarily over a weekend. What would you do with your time, Manu? Would it be beat up N- NPCs? That's, uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if, uh, if my four-day work week starts this week, then yeah, Friday is going to be Elden Ring Day <laughs> with NPC number one. Uh, <laughs> um, but I, I think, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just, you know, catch up on life mostly uh, there's just like so much <laughs> to to do uh, and everything kind of getting you know um, chunked into the weekend does make it hard and on top of that in Germany on Sundays everything is closed so you can't like go grocery shopping and stuff so mm-hmm. basically your weekend is like one day you know to get some stuff done in the city uh, so right. yeah I mean uh, yeah I was going to say the sad fact is, for me at least, I find making games really fun. So I I probably find myself trying to make games on my fifth day, which is slightly ridiculous. But it's, uh, it's not. if you I'm, enjoy your work, you know. I'm thinking the same. Um, I just, I love making games and I can't yeah. imagine just having another day doing nothing. When the <laughs> pandemic started, I, saw, I thought, oh, so much opportunity. I'm going to do so many things and be productive with my time. And then I watched Netflix. <laughs> Um. (laughs) yeah i think that ended up being kind of a a false promise though right like everyone was like oh you have all this extra time because you're not commuting anymore but i i think at least in my experience i'm working just as much if not more i just like roll out of bed i go to my computer it's right there and i just start working um and maybe that's a me problem but 
like people talk about having all this free time uh, during the pandemic, like unless you were laid off or furloughed or something, I, I don't think that's been my experience. Like I have the, roughly the same amount of free time. I, I would think that um, I, I certainly believe those studies that suggest that comparable amount of work gets done in a shorter work week. And I certainly support the idea of society moving to a three day weekend and, and I think, and I won't pretend I know a lot about this stuff, but, but it, you know, there's less work to do in the world these days, so it doesn't seem necessary to do a five-day work week either if we're distributing work evenly around society. So I'd, I'd, I'd like, I believe that comparable amount of things get done and it ought to be possible, and that, that sounds like a good thing to me. I think my... my yeah, I think... Oh, oh you go. Uh, yeah, and <clears throat> I was just going to say that uh, yeah, there's another company that recently did this um it's called mighty kingdom uh based out of australia and and yeah they just they had like it's a it's a publicly listed company on the australian stock exchange so relatively large team um and the ceo basically said you know <clears throat> if you have like two options that kind of um yield the same output but one option just makes everyone happier, then why wouldn't you take that option? Uh, and that mm -hmm. that was kind of the convincing point and the North Star for just finding a way to make it work in the company. That led to, you know, um, that led to like changing up processes a lot because the rest of the world does not work on a four-day week. Uh, that also, uh, both internal and external processes, it also... <clears throat> to match point about meetings you know it suddenly made meetings more expensive <laughs> in your calendar so people started cutting down their 60 minute meetings into 30 minute meetings which made them more efficient which is great and um just looking at my notes but, but yeah but yeah i think yeah, these were these were probably like uh, the two uh, two most important things but and the third one was like this it wasn't applied also or the Expectation also wasn't to apply it equally across departments, I think, because there are probably like some service-based departments like customer support, etc., that cannot really do a four-day week versus other more, you know, like PM or game design that maybe can do it. Um, so there was some calibration there. But again, to match point about, you know, um, the the execs not like taking all the <laughs> advantage of this. Uh, something that Mighty Kingdom did was quite transparent about was any kind of a um, overhead that was caused by by this change in the short term. It was absorbed by the leadership team as much as possible, versus you know the rest of the company. And yeah, it's just I mean they were just cognizant about these things and you know successfully made the transition. But yeah also kind of remains to be seen how long it can continue. I, I, this is an important point that we didn't cover, which is do you get paid the same? Yep. You get paid the same. I'm, I'm assuming you yep. get paid the same. Yeah, right? okay. yeah, yeah. Some companies, uh, you have to work the full week hours in four days, and then some companies you work just a normal day hours, so you work less hours per week. There are different ways to go to go about it. And I think that's something that I found very interesting from the results that Blackbird Interactive uh, shared, because 29% said that they worked 32 hours per week. However, 47% um, said that they worked 32 to 36 hours. So 
they didn't see a loss in productivity. However, there were people at the company, a, a big percentage, um, that were working more hours than the than the four mm. days. Mm. And maybe that's just something that we accept to have that extra free day. We'll have to work a few more hours here and there. Um, yeah, I think it ways to be seen. I think it's definitely very exciting to see more games companies trying trying this out, doing trials and trying to find new benefits for their staff. I, I do have one other point to add, which is when we were considering it as a team about this time last year, and uh, I remember bringing it up in an investor call and said, oh, yeah, and we're thinking about doing four days a week. <laughs> and uh, they smiled and said, oh, really? <laughs> but behind the smile, they're going, well, you're doing what? Oh, <laughs> what are you doing with my money? So, you know, I think uh, there's plenty of enlightened venture capital investors. However, I guess that is a consideration if you're setting up your company that at some point you have to uh, have a conversation that says, hey, we're only going to be working 80% of the time which is an odd conversation to be have when you're taking somebody's money to do something mm. quickly, right? So uh, I think that culturally it's much, much easier to start with that rather than switch from five to four. That's a, any, any kind of cultural change is hard. But equally, if you're venture funded and you're doing it at the beginning, then you have to make sure you've got an investor that buys into the idea that that's a better way to run a business. Fair. Yeah, super fair point. It's probably quite difficult to claw that back too, right? If you, if you find that four days is just ah. not working out and then you decide we want to go back to five days. I imagine that the workforce would not be terribly pleased with that. Mm, that's maybe a one-way street, unless you describe it as an experiment. Yeah, I hatch it's definitely being shared as it's a trial for six months, and that may happen. But I I do agree it'll be quite difficult because people start managing their lives around mm, having yeah. working four yeah. days, and then you have to change it back. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, we'll wrap up the episode because we're reaching the one hour mark. We are on Discord. You can join the Navic Discord if you want to share your thoughts on all the topics that we talked about today. Continue the conversation there. And it was lovely to have you all, you know, discovering Manu's interests in NPCs. <laughs> and we're never letting this go. David is <laughs> just sticking. The professor title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matt being the hero. Matt being the hero of the day. Yeah. And yeah. A yeah. cast full of characters. Um, yeah. <laughs> Nobody noticed my haircut. Oh. But that's okay. You can go to you can go to YouTube and check it out. Yes, I did use that as a YouTube plug. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was uh, yeah, it was so nice to to have you here. And yeah. Hope to join us in the next episode next week. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank bye, you. bye. bye.